Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. People need to believe in something. People need to believe in a hope and a future. People have to know that things are going to get better by the choices and the decisions they make today. Hope is very, very important to the conversation of life. And the series that we're in today, I'm Pastor Bucky. Welcome. Good to have you at Watermark, especially if you're here for the first time. We're in a series called God Conversations. And we're looking at this powerful reality that God placed us on this planet as his people as followers of Christ, to engage in meaningful conversations with the people that matter most to us in life, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends. And, and God has uniquely placed us on this planet. He's given us a story, a story of hope, a story of purpose, a story about a future happening that is wonderful. And we are here to bring that hope, to share that story, to give that love to those around us that live on planet dirt, right? (laughs) Planet dirt, dirt. People need hope. People need to believe that the rain is coming, the water's coming, and a drought-weary, laden land. And this is what Peter said to the early church. He encouraged them that they had been placed on the planet, they were here for a purpose, they were here to love their neighbors and friends, and enter in and engage in a God conversation. How do you have a meaningful conversation, Peter would say, but in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. Why do you have hope? Why do you believe in a future? Why is your life seemingly filled full of purpose and meaning? What makes you tick? Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you pound the table when things go wrong? What is your vision? What is your hope? But do this with gentleness and respect. And as we have been journeying through this series, we've been asking the question, how do you have a meaningful God conversation with the culture and the world and the worldview that we live in in America? What does that look like? And as we've been learning, we've been understanding that a great conversation is not just about proclamation, about just proclaiming our truth and talking and just telling everybody what we believe, but it actually starts with great questions. You want to have a great conversation? You want to walk the way that your Lord walked, Jesus, he asked great questions of people. And so a great conversation begins with great questions, and there's four questions we've been talking about through this series that are important for anybody that wants to ask the question about what is life all about on this planet. Every worldview, every religious system, every secular system has to answer these questions. The questions are the question of origin. How did we get here? Where do we come from? Why are human beings on the top of the food chain in this planet? What is this? Where did we come from? The question is meaning. Where do we find purpose? Where do we find meaning in our existence? Morality. How do we know what right and wrong was? How can we find the good path and live the good life on this planet? And finally, the question we're going to look at today, the question of destiny. If you're interested in those other questions, you can go to our podcast and check out some of the previous sermons and talks, 
and get more information on that. But today we're going to look at destiny, and when we answer that question, we're talking about what happens after death. What happens after people die? What happens when we put people in the dirt in the ground? Is there anything beyond that? Is there any hope beyond the grave? How do we know? What does it look like? And as we do that, we want to answer with a Christian hope, because Christianity has some unique answers for that question that people are asking all the time, and we want to unpack that this morning. As Christ followers, we want to be prepared when somebody asks us about our hope. We have a conversation about someone who's died because death happens every day in Orange County, even in the most beautiful, wonderful place in the world. I was preparing for a wonderful weekend, and I got the phone call that one of my friends uh, came home and found his daughter dead in the backyard. How do you talk about that? She's a a 22-year-old girl, right? How do you talk about that? How do you deal with that? How do you ask questions? How do you dialogue about that? Because death comes, and it makes no appointments. It steals, it robs, it destroys, it takes our loved ones and our relationships. And how do we have a conversation about death and life and purpose? in the most difficult places of life. And we want to give respectful answers. We want to be prayerful. We want to be loving. We want to be listening when people ask those questions or death comes into their life. We want to remember that we're loving a person. We're not winning an argument. So much of the dialogue on the internet and the world today is about an argument, about I'm right and you're wrong. It's about throwing stones. It's about judging. Ben did a great job talking about that last week. We're not here to judge and throw stones. We're here to have a loving dialogue and love a person. We're not about winning an argument. We're about loving a person that God loves and gave his life for. And in the question of destiny, we want to give a reasonable answer to this question of hope. Is there anything beyond the grave? How do we answer that question? And you know, it's an important question, just like we heard in the movie there, because hope is so important to human beings. Hope is so important to human beings. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, right, in the Old Testament, he asked God for wisdom. He observed the world. He observed people. He observed relationships. And he said, you know what? Hope is so important to humanity. Being a human being, by very nature, binds us to the idea of hope. We need hope. We thrive on hope. It is like the water (laughs) in a dirt-laden land. If we have hope, we have water. We have energy. We have life. Here's what Solomon said, hope deferred. Hope that that goes unfulfilled makes the heart sick, right? But a longing, a hope fulfilled is like a tree of life. It's like water to a weary soul to have hope, even in the midst of a desert. See, Solomon observed this because that's the way we're wired as human beings, right? We're irreducibly hope-based creatures. The movie industry knows this, right? Why every summer do we flock to the blockbuster? Anybody seen the Avengers? Only one person seen the Avengers in this. What's going on? You guys are boring. Don't you go to the movies ever? Oh my gosh, the Avengers of blockbuster movies. Come on. Anybody ever go to the movie theater? Anybody seen Braveheart or Gladiator? Why do we go there? Because we're looking for hope. Escape to the movies. We want a hopeful story. We want a happy ending. We want something positive in a dreary and weary life at times. 
That's why people escape to the movies, because we're bound by hope, we want hope, and we thrive on hope. We need hope to survive as human beings. You take hope out of an economy, out of a system, out of a country, out of an organization, and guess what? It dies. It dies. Hope is so important to us. Without hope, we become desperate. We'll do anything to escape hopelessness, right? Because we're all longing for a bigger story. You know, people that have looked at humanity and looked at hope, great storytellers. You ever heard of J.R. Tolkien, wrote Lord of the Rings? Anybody seen a Lord of the Rings movie? Well, J.R. Tolkien was a Christian, and what he thought was that people love fantasy and fairy tale. They love these beautiful stories like, right, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. C.S. Lewis was one of his buddies. And he said the reason is, is because we're looking for a bigger story. This world cannot fill the hope that we have as human beings and the need that we have for a bigger story. We're looking for that. We flock to the theaters, right? We want an adventure. We want good to win over evil. We want life beyond the grave. We want love that lasts and endures forever. We want that. And what J.R.R. Tolkien would say is because we're all looking for the grand narrative, the arc story, that at the end of the day, doesn't turn out to be a fantasy, but is actually true because God has put eternity in our hearts and we're looking for that eternal story. We were wired for it. We're spiritual beings. We're eternal beings and we're looking for that hope. And you know, that's the answer that the Christian story gives. This is the hopeful story. This is the true answer to the longing of your soul. This is the hope that you've been looking for. Well, how does the secular story do in the area of hope? If we really need hope and we thrive on hope and it's necessary for our health, for our future, for our purpose and meaning, how does this secular story give us hope? Here's what one person said in a critique, Neil Postman. He said, in the end, science does not provide the answers most of us require. Its story of how our origins and our end is, to say the least, unsatisfactory unhopeful. To the question, how did it all begin? Origin? Science answers? Probably by accident. (laughs) We're probably just accidental tourists in the universe, right? To the question, how will it all end? Science says, probably by accident, right? The sun is going to burn out and we're all going to die, right? There's your hope. Probably by an accident. And to so many people, the accidental life is not worth living. The accidental life is not worth living living. You know, a secularist might say, but we're optimistic because our hope is in humanity. The natural story, the secular naturalism, the paradigm that pervades, the worldview that's a part, mostly dominant in America to say, is our hope is in progress. We have hope that humanity will progress and evolve and overcome, and humanity is going to win the day. Here's what one person said who critiqued that point of view. The secular concept, though good, everybody loves progress. I mean, I want the iPhone 25. (laughs) I'm excited about technology, right? The secular concept of progress requires an indefinite expansion of desires. A steady rise in the general standard of comfort, right? Through unlimited, constant economic growth. Secular progress needs an economic engine that is always expanding, always growing, always taking on new. Everybody becomes better, everybody becomes bigger. 
And so that's the social idea. The material prosperity is necessary if the secular social ideal will be achieved. Individuals becoming more and more free to pursue happiness according to their own private definition, right, of good is to be realized. And what we're finding out is that this secular hope is breaking down ultimately. World War I, World War II destroyed a lot of the secular hope of optimism, right? We've seen these global wars and conflicts. What about today's world? What's going on? Hey, we have some great economic prosperity in America, but guess what? We realize that's shaky as best, right? We can't always continue to expand. We can't always continue to be number one. There are cycles. There's greed. There's corruption. And people get hurt. There's this huge divide between the haves and have-nots in the world, and we still haven't been able to overcome that. We are realizing that there are limits to human power and freedom, right? There are limitations. Look at the environment. Every day, all we hear about is that there's challenges, right? Global warming. We're creating things that are toxic and that are killing lots of people. There's struggles with our freedom and our unlimited expansion. We need to look at that, right? There's challenges. The environment maybe cannot fulfill this incredible economic growth engine that we need to have prosperity and hope and human progress. As a result of all the challenges, younger Americans today are the first generation that says when you serve in them, I don't think my generation is going to be better than the last before it. Economically, environmentally, culturally, I don't know. I don't have a lot of hope. And so the next generation is struggling with that. That's what the surveys are saying. Actually, the overall suicide rate is going up, right? From, uh, rose 24% from in a, to a 30-year high from 1999 to 2014. See, if all we have hope is in human progress and it's humanity's the engine, guess what? Humanity breaks down ultimately. We're not perfect. I love progress, but ultimately it cannot fulfill the hope that our heart so needs and desires. And the ultimate deal breaker is death. Death ultimately dismantles the hope of human progress, right? Death, here's, here's what uh, Carl Jung said. Death is indeed a fearful piece of brutality. There is no sense pretending otherwise. It is brutal not only as a physical event, but far more so psychologically. A human being is torn away from us, right? A young life taken, age 22. Why? And what remains is the icy stillness of death. There no longer exists any hope of a relationship, for all the bridges have been smashed in one blow. Ultimately, technology, human progress, cannot deal with the reality of death. Death dismantles secular hope, naturalistic hope. Secular hope cannot render meaningful the most certain fact of human life, death. cannot make it meaningful. It cannot help us face the fear of death. It cannot help us even triumph over it. It simply interrupts the story, end of story. Death means the end of relationships. We lose our loved ones. Death means the end of love. No matter how you want to dress it up, No matter how you want to make it look pretty, right? Hey, but we have the Lion King, right? The Lion King says that we're all together in the circle of life. Kumbaya, right? Guess what? The antelope eats the grass. The lion eats the antelope. 
And then the lion dies and he becomes fertilizer for the grass, for the antelope. We're all connected in the great circle of life. Kumbaya. You guys want to sing then in church? Kumbaya, we're all going to fertilizer forever. Is there a lot of hope in that? I'm sorry, there isn't a lot of hope in that. As much as Disney wants to dress it up and we dance around with all the animals, there isn't a lot of hope in that story. My hope is that my kids are going to become fertilizer. Peter Kraft, who's a, a, a philosopher, said, how does that story play in the real world, the, the circle of life? He tells the story of a seven-year-old boy whose mama was a naturalist. She didn't believe in God. She didn't believe in an afterlife. And this seven-year-old was three years old to a tragic disease. And he had a God question. There was a God conversation in the car with this woman. And he, he said, Mommy, where's my cousin gone? Well, because she had no spiritual hope, her hope was in secular hope. She said, well, your cousin, you know, he's gone back to the... In the springtime when the flowers blew, we can realize that your cousin gave his life to fertilize those flowers. How did that story play? This seven-year-old looked at his mommy with terror and goes, I don't want my cousin to become fertilizer. Does anybody want their kids to become fertilizer? That's the secular hope. That's the story of a hope without God. When all there is is just naturalism. How do we answer these questions without a different hope? Christianity offers that hope. It deals with the issue of death face on, head on with the reality and brings a hope that's been unheard of. Unheard of. Even amongst the religions of the world, Christian hope is so unique and different in a God conversation. Here is the hope of Christianity. Here's the hope of the gospel given to us by the Apostle Paul in first. For I received what I passed on to you as of first importance. Historically, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, right? This was all talked about in the Old Testament. That he was buried physically. He went into the ground, they rolled the stone, they wrapped him up, he was dead. And that he was raised to life on the third day according to the Scriptures. This was all planned, this was God's purpose, to deal with the one thing that we couldn't deal with on our own, that humanity couldn't overcome, death in the grave. Jesus is the only one historically that ever rose, showed himself physically to be alive. This is unique of the Christian hope. God became a man in order to face death for us, to die in our place the Bible says the wages of sin, the wages of, wages of rejecting God and the knowledge of God is sin. And that leads to separation. That leads to death. But Jesus came to die for us on the cross, to take de- on death for us. He defeated death. And three days later, he rose from the grave. Not a fairy tale, not a fantasy, a historical reality. Christianity is built on this. If there is no resurrection, there's no Christianity There's no church. It is the only religion built on a historical reality that our leader died and rose from the dead. Death does not have to have the final say over our lives because of the Christian hope of resurrection, the reality of resurrection. Good news now can come out of a graveyard. I now can have a God conversation with the woman who lost her granddaughter that I was telling you about, this man who lost his daughter, I can have a conversation about Jesus and this girl. I can have a God conversation. We can talk 
about the hope of eternity in the midst of the most difficult questions. Why, why, why? I don't have an answer for why, but I know who. I know who came and lived and died and rose. I know who. And that's the hope that we cling to. A personal God that came and died and defeated death for us. He offers us the gift of eternal life as we put our faith, our heart, and we accept him as the lover and leader of our life. This is the Christian story. It is unique amongst all the religions of the world in a God conversation. What is unique about the Christian hope? If somebody asks you, hey, why do you believe in a Christian hope? Why are you Christian? What's distinct? What is distinct about Christian hope? Christian hope is personal. That's very distinct amongst the religious philosophies of this world. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples on the night before he went to the cross and died. He gave them a beautiful love metaphor. This language is the language of a groom speaking to his future bride. It is a language of covenant love. If you were in the Jewish first century world and you wanted to marry a woman, you were engaged and you'd say, hey honey, I love you. I'm going to go build a new room on my father's house. And when it's done, I'm going to come get you, man. And we're going we're gonna to consummate this thing. And we're going to be together for... ha! This is love language. This is covenant language. This is personal. This is a marriage proposal. Jesus says to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. They've just heard he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. He's going to face physical torture and death. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I am God with skin on. And in my Father's house, there are many rooms. If that were not so, would I not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be where I am forever. This is bridal, proposal, groom-to-bride, covenant Jewish language. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a room for you. This is a personal promise, right? The secular blues says we continue as fertilizer. No personal, no personhood, no, no soul, no being. We're all just material beings. We came from the dirt, you go back from the dirt. There's nothing left, right? The secular view says we continue as our bodies take on a new form and replenish the earth as fertilizer. The Eastern religious view, in many Eastern religions, after death... You don't exist anymore as a person. The goal is to escape your body, to escape the soul, the being, the personal being, and to go into the all-soul universe, right? You're like a drop of water, and now you're being reconnected to the big pool of consciousness, right? The big pool, may the force be with you. You're going back to the force. You know, you know why the movie didn't do so well without a Christian hope? Because Obi-Wan Kenobi wouldn't have come back with a personal body, do you know when Obi-Wan Kenobi comes back, you can see him and talk to him? He's, he's, he's got his body in a physical form? That doesn't fit with, that's a Christian worldview that's been smuggled in by George Lucas, dude. If you want to be a Buddhist, be a Buddhist. But that's not Buddhist hope. You don't exist anymore. Your personhood is completely gone. This is unique to Christianity. Do you know that? Do you know you can make a case because everybody longs to exist and to know their loved ones beyond the grave? Christianity offers that hope uniquely. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. We're going to be together with our family. I'm going to know my wife in heaven. I'm going to know my daughter in heaven. 
I'm going to recognize her. I'm going to see her. We're going to be in the, that's a family term, the father's house. There's relationships that exist. Your personhood exists. This is what's unique about Christianity. If, if we do not continue as a self, then we've lost everything, right? Because the greatest thing is love. How can you continue on in this immaterial, impersonal existence? There is no hope at all. Only Christianity offers this unique hope that we're going to be together again. Jesus had a physical body. They, they, at first, they didn't understand, but then they recognized him. They saw the scar to his hand. They knew it was their Lord and Savior, right? We're going to be together. It's a personal relationship with a loving God. That is uniquely Christian hope. The second part about Christian hope is that it's concrete. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This is the book of Revelation. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, or crying, or pain. For the older order of things will have passed away. The Christian hope is concrete, right? God's going to take the planet and recreate the planet that we were created to live on forever with God. See, no other religious, rigid religion claims to hold out a hope for the salvation of this world, this planet, along with a soul, Right? along with our bodies. Our bodies are going to be resurrected. We're going to receive a resurrected body, a spiritual body, and we're going to be in that body, the same one that Jesus was in when he rose from the dead. They touched him, they ate with him, they saw him, right? This is the Christian hope that it's concrete. You don't just go to some, an angel somewhere on a cloud and sing a harps and, woo no, it's a reality. And guess what? It's not just a consolation for what you've lost, We've never even seen the great things that God has prepared for us. It's a restoration of everything that's been lost. You've never lived a day on this planet, even the best day, the best day of your life. Think of the best day of your life. Even that day was tainted with selfishness and pride, right? With greed or worry or fear or insecurity. Even that day was tainted. The best day of my family was still even tainted, right? with pride and selfishness and different things and insecurity and fear, we've never even lived the life that God created us for yet. That's why it says, no eye has seen, no ears. No one's experienced yet the glorious things. We have a foretaste of that in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We get to taste that in communion a little bit, but that's just an appetizer, guys. The best is yet to come. Can you imagine a day without all the stuff that burdens us, the guilt, the shame, the memories, the, the, the burdens, the anger, the fears, the bad news. Can you imagine a day without that? That is what it's going to be like in heaven, enjoying the things that are good in this life without the burden of sin and death. That's the only thing that doesn't go to this beautiful and God's recreated planet where we glorify and love him and love one another forever. It is concrete. It is real. It is a physicality to it. And finally, the Christian hope is certain. Again, very unique. Amongst the religious systems, the secular system, the Christian worldview is certain. Your hope is certain. Why? 
because you've worked hard enough to become a good person so God will accept you? That's what the religious system says. Your hope is never certain. You never know if you've been good enough, you've done enough. Have I been a good enough person? Will God finally accept him? You don't really know that. So you're always in fear. You're living with uncertainty. You're always dealing with that. Our hope is it's certain because it's not based on us. It's based on a person, Jesus Christ, God's Son, who lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, and rose from the grave. Our hope is in the historical reality of his work, his resurrection. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Memorize this verse. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's a certain fact that your hope is secure because Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father. Our hope is not in our moral efforts. That's religion. Our hope is in salvation through God's grace. Our hope is not in wishful thinking. Gosh, I just hope so. I hope, I hope he went to the big rodeo in the sky. I hope he's gone for the big fishing trip. You know, I, I hope we'll see him someday again. No, it's a historical reality because Jesus rose from the dead. You have a historical hope that is secure. It's in the reality of Jesus' bodily resurrection. And this is the unique part of the Christian hope. How do we know that this Christian hope is real? How do we know? How can we trust, right? How do we know? People are going to ask the question, right? How do we know? Here's some great questions to ask them in a God conversation, right? Well, how do you answer the historical claim of the church since the beginning of inception? The church has proclaimed that Jesus rose from the dead. How do you answer that question? Ask your friend that. Ask the person that you love that. How are they going to answer that question? That's been the claim of the church for over 2,000 years, right? Well, it didn't happen. They made it up. It's a fairy tale. It's a fantasy. Okay, if it's a fantasy and they made it up, how do you get the church without a resurrection? Without a resurrection, how do you account for the incredible meteoric rise of the church? The church exploded out of nowhere. There's only one historical historical explanation for how the church exploded and the Jewish worldview changed to a Christian worldview overnight. The only explanation, really, is the resurrection. It it up, and it just took, it was legend. It takes hundreds of years for that kind of change to happen to a Jewish, any worldview. For a worldview to change overnight like that, something significant had to happen. A tremor, an earthquake, an earth-shattering thing. And the only thing historically from the original eyewitness was he died and then he rose again. <laughs> right? You have to deal with that. Research it. Look at that. That's a great question. How do you dismiss the countless eyewitnesses that saw him, right, and gave their lives for that? They died for this message. They didn't get a book deal. They didn't get, get put, on, put on, you know, CNN News. Yeah, they, they, didn't, they would, didn't become celebrities. They died for this. They were tortured for this. And none of them recanted. How do you explain that? Would you be willing to die for a lie if you knew it? These are some great questions. If you want these questions, I'll send them to you. If you want to dialogue about these questions, I'll have coffee with you and talk about this. If you want to understand how to t- here to help you have God conversations, there's great books I can point you to that has great answers to these questions so you can have a God conversation. Just ask, and we're here to help you and equip you. But the reality is we can look forward to a better future. 
That is the Christian hope. Uniquely the Christian hope. Death does not have to be the final say over our lives. Jesus, as we close our service, he instituted this meal. And he says, whenever you come together as my followers to have this meal, whenever you take the bread and the cup, you proclaim my death, right? Until I return. Uniquely in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, I'm not going to partake of this party. I'm not going to partake of this until we do it again in the Father's kingdom. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be with you again in the kingdom of God. I'm coming back ever in the Father's house. This is a hope-filled meal. This is a personal meal, a concrete meal. Take this into your body. It is a hope-filled meal. We're going to be together in eternity forever. Do you have that hope this morning? Is that what you're betting your life on? Are you betting your life on fertilizer? Are you betting your life on, I hope hope I'm good enough for God? Or do you want to bet your life on the God who came and died for you and rose from the dead and offers you the gift of eternal life? Do you want to bet your life on that? I'm going to give you a chance to pray that prayer. It's about your heart. It's about saying yes to Jesus. It's about saying, Jesus, you are my hope. I put my trust and my faith in you. And before we go to the communion table, this is a meal for, for God's family, for Christians. This is what we celebrate. And if you haven't made, I encourage you, this is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Your eternity is at stake. And Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I bet my life on that. I bet my son his future. I'm going to see him again in eternity. I have one there too. I have family members that gone before me. I'm going to see them again. That is my hope. That is the reason I get up in the morning. That is the reason I go to the graveyard and do funerals. That is the reason I talk to people because I have a hope that is certain and I can help them know that hope in Jesus Christ. Do you have that hope? Do you want that hope? Is God calling you to that hope this morning? If so, I would encourage you to pray this prayer with me right now. And put your hope in Jesus Christ. He promises you the gift of eternal life that you will be with him forever. And that's all about your faith and trust in him. Let's bow our heads. This morning, Father, we thank you that you gave us a real hope. No more wishful thinking. No more despair at the graveside. But we can say we will be with you forever. If there's any of you that want to ask Jesus in your heart and have that hope this morning, just pray that prayer with me right now from your heart. Just pray it in your heart as I give it to you. Dear Jesus, I realize you are my only hope. I open the door of my heart for the first time. I ask you to come in. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I thank you for rising from the dead so that I could have eternal hope. I accept your gift of eternal life as I put my faith in you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and teach me how to follow you in your grace and your love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Father, this morning, as we come to this table, strengthen us with hope, the only hope that you came to bring through your body and blood, Jesus. We receive this gift of forgiveness and grace. We remember your death for us. Fill us with that hope so we can carry that hope to the world that so needs that hope. We thank you. We celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have four stations. Go ahead and get the cup and say, Jesus, thank you for the hope that only comes through your body and blood. Let's celebrate the Lord's table as we finish in worship.
We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.